1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 17 to 3, verse 13. So if you've got your Bibles there at home, uh, I'm going to give you a moment to grab them, uh, to follow along in your own Bibles. It will be on the screen as well, but I'll just give you one minute to, or a couple of moments to get that. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For, we know, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought the good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Awesome. Well, let's pray again. Let's ask that God would help us understand what he's saying in his word. And then uh, we'll, we'll dig into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can uh, come together again, uh, albeit online, Lord. We thank you that we can join and open up your word. And that as we open up your word, as we look at 1 Thessalonians, Lord, it is God's word. This is not just a human word. This is the, the living God speaking to us. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would challenge us and shape us and change us so that we may be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, again, I don't know if you're anything like me, but over the last kind of 13 or 14 weeks, uh, I've watched more addresses from our government leaders than ever before in my life. Uh, you know, there have been some notable ones. Uh, you know, it's worth noting that Queensland, New South Wales, the, the kind of back and forth they had about the borders, that's a notable one. But, but my favorite in all of this was uh, ScoMo's address, I think it was 13 weeks ago, about toilet paper hoarding. You remember it if you saw it, because it is now uh, online famous. It was the one where he said about toilet paper, stop it. Remember, he said that, he said, I can't be more blunt about it, stop hoarding, it's un-Australian, it's one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen in this crisis, is kind of what he said. 
Now, a as is the case these days, it's made into a meme, and then YouTube videos and all of them are kind of funny. Uh, but I must say that when I saw Scott Morrison doing this, I liked it. Uh, for me, maybe it is just me, but I like a leader who is willing to call out toilet paper, hoarding. That's what, that's what I want in my leader. But see, if, if you've been watching these addresses, they haven't all been about toilet paper hoarding. In fact, kind of past that one. I think we, we stopped doing that. And as we've been going on in this crisis, and really as Australians, we've been getting better at it. Um, you know, in, in this crisis, we are, uh, among some other countries, the envy of the world. And what's happened is with these announcements, they've gone less from toilet paper hoarding. And now they're simply kind of the reminder, and, and Scott Morrison said this a few times, to stay the path. You know, he's told us, stay the path, stay the course, keep going, keep going in this pandemic. He's been reminding us to finish what we started. And, and when he does this, Scomo has been telling us why we need to stay the path. He's been reminding us of what's at stake here, our economy, our health, our mental health as well. He's been telling us the danger if we don't stay the path, if we don't finish what we started. And he's been encouraging us to continue to go, to continue to go on, to continue to finish what we started. You see, there, there are moments for us where we need reminding to stay the path, to finish what we started. And obviously that's true, not just with a pandemic. I mean, that's true with all sorts of things in life. There's, there, there's sometimes there's moments for us where we need reminding, encouraging to stay the path, to finish what we started. There are times where we need those moments where someone encourages us and tells us what's at stake if we give up. And when we come to this passage today in, in 1 Thessalonians, this is kind of what Paul is doing. In this passage, Paul labors on, he goes on and on and on about this fact that for this church and for us as God's people, there's this reminder to stay the path. And, and what Paul does in this passage is he, he labors on it, at what's at stake if we don't, but also the dangers, what's going on for us, and the encouragement to actually stick to the path and finish what we started. And so when it comes to Christianity, if you're not a Christian and you've been watching this today, and you're watching this today, then hopefully this is an encouragement for you as well. But if you are someone who calls you yourself a Christian, then we want to come to this passage and ask, okay, so, so why should we stay the path? What is it that's so important about sticking to what we start, to finish what we start? And we're going to do that as we look at this passage. And, and what we're going to see is that Paul gives us three things, reminds us of three things, three vital things for us to stay the path. And the first is in these opening verses. And, and notice what he says here. It's about the spiritual battle. The first thing Paul speaks of is this. Notice again, he says this in verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So what do we need to be reminded of, encouraged about, to, to stick to the path, to stay the path? Well, the first thing Paul does is he reminds us of the fact that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, we notice in this passage, whatever he's about to say comes from a love for this church. Paul loves this church, right? He's, I mean, he's talking about his, the fact that he's distant from them, that they can't gather together. He says, it's like we were orphaned. In fact, he says, we wanted to be with you so much, there was an intense longing for it. W whatever he's going to say comes from this love for this church, and what he gets at is this spiritual battle. Notice he said there, 
Satan blocked our way. Now, we don't know how Satan blocked their way to gather. We, we don't know the context, what it exactly was, but we know that Paul knows it was Satan that stopped them from visiting this church. And since Satan stopped them, Paul's afraid that Satan's got to this church, that he's torn them away from the faith that they once had. And he spells this out in, in chapter 3, verse 1. We see this here. He says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Paul is reminding this church that they're in a spiritual battle, that they're engaged in spiritual warfare, and that there is an enemy that wants to bring them down. You know, when, when we consider why do we need to stay the path, what's at stake here, what's the dangers? Well, the first thing is this, we're in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that wants to either... It tempt us to give up on God or give in to sin. Now, it, it's worth taking a step back from this passage a moment and kind of understanding God and Satan throughout the Bible. You, you see, it, sometimes maybe we think of God and Satan, their battle is this dualistic battle, you know, where they have this kind of, they're both really strong and it's this arm wrestle between God and Satan where we don't really know who's going to win and we're just hoping that God is going to win. But that's not a biblical understanding of either God or of Satan. You see, in the Bible, God is uh, alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God stands alone in strength and might and honor. There's no one like God. He is the creator and everything else is created. So God stands alone. No one comes close to God's strength. No one on earth, not, not Satan, not anyone comes close to God's strength. Then we see if we follow the story of the Bible, we get to this moment at the cross and when Jesus died, what we see at the cross is there's this moment where Jesus disarms Satan, takes his ability to accuse away. So in some ways, Satan is like a dog on a leash. His power is limited. He can't go where, you know, he's not allowed to go. He's a dog on a leash. And the cross took the dog's teeth away, right? That's kind of the picture of what we have through of Satan in the Bible. Yet, we've got to be aware that until Jesus returns finally, until he comes back, there is this reality that we exist in a world where Satan is active and where he's going to come after us to attack us, to tempt us to give up on God or give in to sin. In fact, 1 Peter 5 describes Satan as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan hates us and he wants us to give up on God and give in to sin. And so Paul here reminds us of this reality that we're in a spiritual battle. Now, we need to be reminded of that, right? Like, I wonder if you think about this. Do you live your life with the awareness that you're in a spiritual battle? You know, do, do you live day to day, moment by moment, aware that you're in a fight for your life, that there is spiritual warfare going on? You see, I, I know for me, I can fall into the trap of thinking that all I see is all there is. You know, that, that it's just kind of, this is it. 
I, I fall into that trap of not seeing the spiritual realities here. But our battle is not just flesh and blood. We have an enemy that wants to tempt us to give up on God or give in to sin. And this enemy, Satan, he's smart and he's strategic and he'll hit us wherever we are. You know, so he's going to hit us when we're down, in the middle of trials, when we're weak, when we're struggling. Satan's going to go after us. You know, that's, that's what Paul's fear is for this church, that in the middle of trials, they've been unsettled, the tempter has tempted them to give up and their labors are in vain. In the middle of trials, when we are weak, when we're tired, when we're stressed, when we've been hit because of our faith, when our health is struggling, the enemy's going to be there. The enemy's going to be there tempting us to give up on God or to give in to sin. But you see, that's, it's not just in the big moments of life. And it's not just in the bad moments of life either. You see, the, the enemy's not just going to hit us when we're in trials, although that will happen. The enemy hits us when life is going well and, and when things are going good. He doesn't care, right? He just wants a detour. He just wants us to get off the path. You know, and, and this is something we need to be aware of here in Australia. You know, I, I know that for many of us, our life might be marked by trials. Um, that might be true for many of us out there. But there is this reality that when we live in Australia, what we have here and now is unbelievably good. You know, I, I had this moment this week um, where I, on, on Monday, I went fishing. And uh, I went fishing at Talabudra Creek. If you know Talabudra, it's like the, the water's crystal clear. It's beautiful. It was this beautiful, uh, sunny winter's day. The sun was out. It was, it's not too cold. It was, it was just really nice. And um, I'm out there fishing, and I just had this thought and this moment that, like, how is this okay? How, how can I be fishing here in Australia when the rest of the world would give anything to be in, in my position? You know, when you think about what, what's happening outside of our country, right? Like, uh, people say that Australia is the best country in the world. I, I've never appreciated that till kind of in this pandemic. We've got the rest of our, the world is struggling under the weight of this. Healthcare systems are crashing or too expensive to get into. Um, you, you've got the coronavirus is spreading rapidly. Uh, on Friday, there was 400,000 deaths from this thing. And then you think about all of the other deaths, the preventable diseases, the, the poverty, the suffering that exists so much outside of this country. Now, now, I'm not saying that over the last 14 weeks that you haven't suffered, that, that it hasn't been difficult for you, N nor am I saying that for some of us, our life isn't just marked by trials. Like, for some of us, it is. But what I am saying is that there is a reality that here in Australia, what we have is unbelievably good. And for some of us, we might even describe the last 13 or 14 weeks as good. And so what we need to be aware of is that when the enemy attacks, he's not just going to hit us in the big, bad, scary moments of life when we're going through trials. No, spiritual warfare exists. Yes, it exists there, but it, it exists in the mundane, the small moments in the life of ease, when things are going well. You know, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis is this amazing author, and he writes in this book, Screwtape Letters, speaking of how the enemy attacks us in the West. And he says this, and you might have heard me quote it before because it's good. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. 
C.S. Lewis, in that quote there, is speaking about how the enemy doesn't just hit us in the big, scary moments of life. It's in the small, the mundane, the moments of ease. And in those small moments, the tempter is going to tempt us to take a step off the path to detour. He doesn't care what we're going through. He's going to tempt us to give up on God or to give in to sin. Spiritual warfare doesn't just exist in the big moments. It exists in the small moments. It exists day to day because our life really is in the small moments. And so we need to be aware that, that we're in a spiritual battle, that there is an enemy out there that wants to go after us, to give up on God or give in to sin. There is an enemy that's going to be tempting you in small things, you know, tempting you that, it doesn't matter if you gather with God's people. It doesn't matter if you, you know, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's online. It doesn't matter if you meet again with God's people. You'll be okay. It's the small temptations, the consistency with reading your Bible and praying. That doesn't matter. What's a, what's a day if you're going to miss that? What's a week if you don't engage with God in that way? It, it's the small things. It's, it's that it doesn't matter how you respond to your husband or your wife in that moment doesn't matter how you react to your kids when you're under pressure. It's the small things like saying, it, it doesn't matter if you just click that link. It doesn't matter what you do by yourself. It doesn't matter if no one knows it's not going to hurt anyone. It's the small things. It's the small things that, that God's not good, that He's not for you. You see, in the small, the mundane moments, the moments when life is good, that's when the enemy is going to hit us. That's when the enemy does hit us and he tempts us to give up on God or to give in to sin. And so as we consider, why do I need to stay the path and what's at stake here? And what, what, what do I need to be reminded of to finish what I started? The first thing Paul gets at is that we have an enemy. We are in a spiritual battle here. There is a spiritual warfare and there is an enemy that wants us to detour off the path. But see, as we keep reading, it's not just the spiritual reality of an enemy that, that Paul wants to speak at here. He wants us rem- to remind us of the spiritual reality of heaven and hell and of what matters most. And so we get the first thing is the spiritual battle, but the second thing we see here is that faith matters more than anything else. And notice at how Paul gets at this. You see, Timothy, they send Timothy, and then we see this in these next verses here. Can we have that up? There we go, thank you. But Timothy... Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. The second thing that Paul reminds us of here is of what matters most. And he's reminding us here that faith matters more than anything else. You see, you notice this. So Timothy goes, right? He meets with the church in Thessalonica and then he comes back and he tells the report about how under trials this church stood firm, how under trials and temptations that they held the faith. And then Paul reflects on what this does for him. And it's, it's wild of what he says here of how, you know, their faith impacts him. Because he's, he's literally, you know, you can imagine Paul and, and Silas, they've sent Timothy, you can imagine them sitting there with bruises on their face, 
with cuts and, and they've, they've been beaten up. And yet they're saying when they get this report from Timothy, they're saying in, in verse 7, we were encouraged by your faith. And then verse 8, he says this crazy thing. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm. Now, when I hear those words, that's, that's challenging to me. That's wild what he says there. He says, we live, my life is attached but to your faith. He's saying he gets excited and passionate and fired up to know that this church is actually holding on to Jesus. And, and this is challenging for me as I think through this because I think about for me, okay, what gets me excited? What gets me fired up? You know, and I, I wonder if you, you answer that as well. If you think through that, what is it that gets you fired up? What is it that gets you excited? In fact, if you were to finish this sentence, if you were to say, for, for I really live when what happens? What is it that you would say gives you life? You know, for, for me, when I think about that, over the last, you know, 13, 14 weeks, every time I see Queensland's cases on zero, I get excited by that. You know, for me, when, when restrictions were easing, I got excited by that. You know, uh, for me, when, when Elizabeth and I can go to the beach and just sit by the water and enjoy sunny winter's day, that brings me life. And I wonder what it is for you. Because when we think about what, what gives me life, what do I get fired up about? Often it is stuff here and now, right? For me, I really live when I can spend time with my family. For me, I really live when work is going well, when I'm productive. For me, I, I really live when those JobKeeper payments came through. For me, I really live when restrictions eased. For me, I really live when, you know, the NRL started back. Right? I don't know what it was. Maybe the AFL started back. But, but see, when we say that, and we finish that sentence, often it's attached to stuff here and now. Now, I'm not saying let's, let's not get excited by that. But just notice with, with Paul, where his life is attached, he lives hearing that they're standing firm in their faith. And so this raises a question. Why is Paul's life attached to their faith? Why is this what matters most for him? Well, it's because he gets the spiritual realities of heaven and hell. He understands that faith matters more than anything because, you know, catching a fish, that's temporary joy. Restrictions easing, that's temporary joy. Even if we eradicate this virus, it is still temporary joy because it won't save from sin and death. But faith, that does. That's eternal joy. Faith in Jesus who died and rose again. Faith in the one who speaks in his word. Faith in the one who will return. This is eternal. And for Paul, he sees that and he understands that. And he says, my life is attached to their faith. You see, I, I wonder if for us, if we considered, what would it look like to have a life that is attached to my own faith and to seeing other people come to faith? You know, on paper, we might say we agree with what Paul's saying here, that yes, faith matters, but our lives often tell a different story. So what would need to change for us in our lives to say that, that Jesus and faith in Jesus matters more than family? What's that going to look like for you? What, what's it going to look like to say that Jesus and faith in Jesus matters more than work? What's it going to look like to say Jesus matters more than hobbies or anything else what's it going to look like for us to reorientate our life around jesus and not ourselves and then as we think through that 
you know, it kind of gets me excited because what would then it look like for us as a church to do that? You know, can you imagine a church that's united by a deep desire to see people come to know Jesus and love Jesus? Can you imagine a church that's fired up and that finds their life when people come to faith? You know, like what impact would we have as a church here at Southside if our life was attached to people's faith? You know, it's challenging what he's saying here. But what he's doing for us is he's showing us faith matters more. Faith matters more than anything else. And and in this moment, he's reminding us, you know, as we consider, okay, am I going to finish what I started? Am I going to stay the path? He's reminding us faith matters most. So, So first thing we're reminded of, the spiritual reality is that there's an enemy trying to get us to detour. Second thing we're reminded of, the spiritual realities of heaven and hell, and that faith in Jesus matters most. But then we get one more thing. See, Paul in this final passage reminds us of the final spiritual reality, and it's this, it's that the finish matters more than the start. He reminds us of Jesus' return. And notice how he does this. He does this in his prayer. We see this in verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and faith when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The final thing Paul reminds this church of is that the finish matters more than the start, that it matters to make sure that we get to the end of the path where we see Jesus. Now, again, it's worth noting that in this prayer, Paul does pray first and foremost that he'd be able to gather with this church. He loves this church. He loves the local church. He wants to meet with them. And there's just kind of a weird thing right at this moment in time where we can relate to that. You know, like we might not have ever had this moment in our lives before where the local church couldn't gather, but right now that's it. And yet what we see from Paul is that he loves the local church and he desperately wants to meet with the local church. And, and I'm encouraged by that and challenged by that. You see, if, if our heart is not this deep desire to meet again, then I think we need to be praying for that asking God to give us a heart again to meet with one another. We would long for that and love that and pray that that would happen. But this prayer, the primary thing about this is not that they'd gather together. It's that this church would continue what they started, that they would stay the path and hold the faith until they see Jesus. Now, it's interesting here. See, this church is a good church. The church in Thessalonica, it's an amazing church, right? We've just heard They accepted the gospel in difficult circumstances, under trials they held the faith. In fact, in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 9, we're going to see that Paul actually says, concerning your love for one another, we've got no need to write. You know, this, this church is a gun church. If you went to this church, you would love it, right? We would all feel immediately welcomed and that God is there and working and that it's awesome. And yet this prayer is that this church would continue and would grow and get better. And, and so it raises this question, why is he praying that they would grow and get better when they're already pretty good? Why does he pray for them that they would grow and overflow f- with their love for one another, their faith would continue until Jesus returns? Well, it's because Paul knows that what matters most is the finish, not the beginning. You see, The start matters, right? We saw that in chapter 1. They accepted the gospel 
in difficult circumstances. God worked in power. They, they, you know, they accepted it. Paul celebrates that. Chapter 2, we, we saw they accepted God's word for what it really is. Not a human word, but God's word. But now he's pointing them to something more. He's pointing them to the finish. And he's saying, hey, you've you got to stay the path. It's not over yet. You've got to keep going until you see Jesus, until Jesus returns. Now, this theme of Jesus returning, it's a theme throughout the Bible that we see. And, and it's also particularly a theme that we see in, in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, it comes up again and again. It's this idea that Jesus one day will return. And when Jesus does return, it's going to be the final day of judgment. And on that day when Jesus returns, it's going to be a day of joy for those who trust in Jesus, but of judgment for those who don't. And he's reminding this church, stay the path because you know how the story ends. You know that one day Jesus will return. You see, our faith, our journey, the path we're on, it's not over until we see Jesus face to face. Either when we close our eyes in death and we see him then, or when we look up and see him returning. But either way, it's when we see Jesus. And so he's saying, stay the path because you know how this story finishes. Stay the path because you know how this ends. It hasn't ended. You haven't finished. You need to keep going. And he prays for this. He longs for this for this church. You see, when we consider why we've got to stay the path, why we've got to finish what we started, it's so important that we see this. The race isn't over. You know, you might have been a Christian for years. You know, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you never know this moment where you, didn't, you don't know Jesus. You know, maybe for you it's different. Maybe you have this conversion story. Maybe you've only become a Christian recently. M maybe as you think about your life as a Christian, there's been moments where in your life you've served well. You know, you've seen people become Christian under your, Christians under your, your service. Maybe there's times you've encouraged people through difficult moments in your life. You know, maybe you're sitting there after years and years and years of being a Christian. And I want to celebrate that with you. You know, we want to we enjoy what God has done in you and through you. But hear the encouragement here. It's not over. It's not over until you see Jesus. So stay the path. Keep the faith. Keep going. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep on the path where you're knowing Jesus and loving Jesus until you see him face to face. And, and so as we, we see these reminders here from Paul, the spiritual battle, the, the reality of heaven and hell and how important faith is and how the story ends, you get this sense in which staying on the path really matters. You get this reminder, this encouragement, not to detour off, but to stay on the path. And it's funny because as we think about this, I mean, we, we know what he's saying. We hear what he's saying. It's good. But we're also aware that any detour off could be deadly. You know, this was, I was reminded of this this week. Um, I don't know if you saw this story this week, but in Victoria, there was this kind of unbelievable news story this week of a 14-year-old boy, William Callahan, who went missing for 48 hours in Victorian bushland. Um, you know, that's it's crazy that that happened. It would have been freezing down there as well. I mean, it's cold in Brisbane. It would have been freezing in Victoria. And yet, after 48 hours, um, William was found. Um, it was an awesome story. And it's worth looking up if you don't know the story because it, it was just an incredible story of, of joy for the, the mother, the son, William. He was, um, he's autistic and he's nonverbal and he hates noises. And so it was just a really 
um, amazing story of, of life when, when he was found in this bushland. But as I was reading about this story, there was two big things that struck me. Two big things that hit me in, in reading about this story of, of William. The first thing that struck me about this is how easy it was for him to detour. You know, the, the mum, when she was telling the story of this, um, this bushwalk, she was saying it all started well. You know, they, they started together well. They were on the path together. And then all of a sudden, William just ran on ahead and, and around a corner. Pretty much just like that, he was gone. You know, it was in some ways as simple as that. And if you reflect on it, like for William to detour off the path, of course, there's no signpost there. You know, it might have even been soft underfoot. It was easy for him to detour off that path. And yet, how simple it was for him to detour off the path. And if it wasn't for the search party, it might have been deadly. So that's the first thing that struck me as I was reading about how easy it was to get off the path. But then the second thing was this. When he was found, he was found by a local guy that knew the bush. And he was found only 1.5 kilometers away from the path. So that's only 10-minute walk from the path. And I get that it's bushland, but over 48 hours, that's not that far. <laughs> that, like, that's pretty close to the path. And yet, so he takes this small detour that's easy to take, to, to step off. It's simple as that. And then he's still pretty close to the path. And yet it could have been deadly. And if not for the search party, it would have been. Now, you know, we praise God that he was found. But as I hear this and was reading this story, it just struck me about how similar this is to kind of what Paul's getting at here in this passage. You know, when he's urging this church to stay the path, it's because he knows that any detour off, whether it's a big detour off a cliff or whether it's just small, soft underfoot, steady detour, he knows that any detour can be deadly. And so he brings this home and he reminds us there is a spiritual battle that you're engaged in. The enemy is going to go after you. He wants you to give up on God or give in to sin. He's reminding us of the spiritual realities of heaven and hell and that faith matters more than anything else in your life. Faith in Jesus, holding on to the one who saves from sin and death. And he's reminding us of the finish line, that one day Jesus will return to make all things right, that the finish matters more than the start. And so as he does this, as he brings it all together, he's reminding us, stay the path. This matters Keep the faith, because any detour off this path can be deadly. But if we stay on the path, if we hold on to Jesus, this is the only way that leads to life. Let's pray. God, we pray that as we hear Paul's words, that we would take it seriously, what he's saying here. Lord, that we would hold on to the faith, that we would stay the path, that we would remember what's on the line here, that we would be aware of this, that we would have eyes to see the spiritual realities, the spiritual realities that there's an enemy going after us, the spiritual realities of heaven and hell, the spiritual realities that one day Jesus will return to make all things right. And we pray, Lord, that as we see this, as we have our eyes set on things above, that you would help us in this present moment, that you would help us now, day to day, whether it is a life of ease or, or a life of trial, that whatever we're in, in the big moments and the small moments, that we would stay the path and hold the faith, that we wouldn't give up on God or give in to sin, but we, that we would keep the faith. We pray that we do this with your strength and in Jesus' name. Amen.